Happy Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the Daily Kofefe on Unsafe Space. Today is the 21st of November, and I'm your host, Carter Laren. Today I am, sadly, uh, sans Carrie Smith, although we did have a great deprogrammed show this morning that you can check out. We interviewed uh, Jamie Kilstein. But today I thought, since I'm, since I'm without Carrie today, I thought it would be another opportunity, just like last week, to maybe talk about something that um, was important to me but maybe not one of Carrie's favorite topics. And I'd like to talk about disciplining children a little bit. And the the main reason for that is on one of our podcasts the other day. I think it was the book club, actually. Um, I mentioned something about not being into spanking or hitting kids or whatever. And um, there was a little bit of a uh, disconnect between what I was saying and what someone else was saying. I know they weren't suggesting that we... Uh, run around hitting hitting children, um, but there was a little discussion that kind of spawned from that, and I think it's um I think it's an important topic to to discuss as a parent. I think it's important, and frankly, as someone who's trying to help build a peaceful society of voluntary exchange between people, uh, I think all of that really starts with parenting. It starts at home, so uh, why not cover it? And I just, you know, I made some notes here again, that just like my talk on anarchy last week, this is uh, mostly off the cuff, there are a few notes, but forgive me if I misspeak a little bit. So the first point I want to make, and this is just in reaction to something that someone said, when I said I was not into the initiation of the use of force with respect to raising children, that doesn't mean I'm not into roughhousing. Someone thought that meant like, you wouldn't roughhouse with your kids. That doesn't make any sense. Obviously, you would roughhouse with kids. That's play. Uh, you wouldn't. I wouldn't smack my kid, but certainly I would rough. We, I roughhouse all the time with my with my child. So, roughhousing is play, and it's uh, obviously healthy. So, um, you know, before I really start too much here, I want to say a couple of things. I know people get touchy about any parenting stuff. I think that's. I don't know if it's because uh, maybe we we feel like if we did anything wrong as parents, we have to uh, that just invalidates us somehow and makes us bad people. So therefore, we have to you know really argue that we've never made a mistake. We've all made mistakes as parents, um, and uh, you know I would just invite you to have an open mind about what I'm about to say because I know people can get very touchy about subjects like this, and if you suggest that. Uh, you know, this is the way you think parenting should work. Uh, if someone has another opinion, they can get very, very upset about it. So uh, the first thing I'd like to say is um, often I see a false dichotomy being assumed by people where uh, I will say, well, I'm not into spanking and the initiation of the use of force or intimidation uh, of children. And they they hear uh this guy's into unparenting and just befriending their kids and let them, you know, let them run wild. There's no rules. And that's the problem. Damn liberals. That's, I mean, that's usually the kind of people I hear that from, right? They, you leftists are the problem. Not raising your kids properly and teaching them right from wrong and having any kind of discipline. You're just letting them run roughshod everywhere. And then, you know, they're out and, you know, they get out and grow up as adults and they have no morals and no, no direction. Uh, that's a false dichotomy. I'm not saying that we're offering children no direction. I'm not saying that we're not disciplining children. I'm saying I don't physically spank my child. Um, and and I don't use argument from authority and intimidation, which I'll talk about in a minute. It doesn't mean I don't parent. 
Um, I agree with you that unparenting and trying to befriend your children and giving them no rules and no boundaries and spoiling them is bad parenting. We're in agreement. That's not what I'm talking about. So I think it's worth just going through here. The other thing I'll say is, look, I have one child. You know, every child's different. Uh, I think, you know, the what I'm about to lay out here, uh, the principles I had before I had children, but obviously I had never implemented them. So, uh, you know, take this as a <laughs> my perspective. I think it's right, but uh, I'm sure I'm missing some things. I'm sure there's some nuances, and uh, try not to get upset when I tell you not to spank your kids. Okay, so look, the my goal as a parent, I have you know several goals, but the couple that kind of relate to this is. One, I wanted to raise a child that has uh, for, uh, firm moral principles, a firm understanding of, of moral principles. Um, and I believe that in order to have a firm understanding of moral principles and uh, a dedication to being a moral person, uh, they will need to understand why those are moral principles. Uh, I don't believe that because I said so or any kind of, uh, you know, because authority X said so, uh, I don't believe that is a satisfactory answer to any kind of curious mind. I think eventually that gets questioned, and I think as it should, uh, a curious mind will question uh, argument from authority, and uh, so I don't think that actually will give them a, a good why to why why these are the moral principles. Um, and I don't think fear of consequences, I don't think behaving out of the fear of consequences is actually the same as um, having a moral compass, right? Uh, acting out of fear of consequences is just practical, right? I mean, you could you could hit someone every time they wore a blue sweater, they would eventually figure out that wearing blue sweaters is bad. That doesn't make it a moral principle. It just means, you know, they're avoiding getting hit. They, they're understanding the practicality of following the rule. I don't want someone who only thinks of morals as practical, I want to raise someone who thinks of morals as uh, important, useful, necessary, and intrinsic to their being, not just practically a way to avoid punishment. Um, you know, so if, if, if the government went away tomorrow, they don't start murdering people just because, well, well, there's no one to stop me anymore, right? That's not, that's not a moral person. Um, I also, you know, because I'm a voluntarist and believe in uh, the non-initiation of the use of force, uh, I wanted to raise a child that views relationships between individuals as voluntary. And that means that they would not resort, as an adult, they will not resort to threats or intimidation or, or argument from authority to get their way in any kind of disagreement. Similarly, I don't want them to accept threats, intimidation, argument from authority as a valid argument. I don't want that to be something that uh, convinces them. Um, and I think I think that is a moral requirement. Sorry, I think that's a requirement for a moral thinker. I think in order to be an independent moral thinker, that's kind of a requirement, that they uh, don't use threats, intimidation, and argument from authority, and they don't respond to those things either. That, that seems pretty clear to me. Uh, this doesn't mean that they're incapable of self-defense. I'm not saying if someone punches them, they should be a pacifist and, you know, curl up on the ground in the fetal position and let themselves get kicked to death, right? That's not, I'm not saying that either. Uh, respond with force. Absolutely. If, if force is initiated against you, respond in kind with force to defend yourself. 
So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying force is not used uh, to solve disagreements. So um, I guess I guess the way to start kind of overall broadly is to point out that more important than anything we tell our children is um, is what we do. And it's one of the most ignored and impactful things, uh, I think, is our role as uh, role models as parents. And we're all role models in both good and bad ways, or there's certainly habits and behavior of mine that I wish my daughter didn't pick up, but she did. And, uh, you know, best I can do is to recognize that, be open and honest about it being a flaw, and um, and hope that I can help her, you know, drop those bad habits or whatever it is. But kids are watching you, they're watching what you do, how you respond, much more than they're listening to, you know, whatever you're saying to do. Uh, they're much more paying attention to what you're actually doing, and that's extremely important to recognize as a parent. So I'm just going to go through a few I don't call them rules, but guiding principles, I guess, that I, I, I use. I'd love to hear. I know there's a lot of other parents in the uh, community. I'd love to hear from you about uh, guiding principles that that you guys use that you think are are great. Um, when when my daughter was born, um, one of the first things I vowed to do, actually vowed this before she was born, um, I vowed to never ever say to her as an answer because I said so. Um, the reason I vowed to say that is because not only do I view that as lazy parenting, um, but it also teaches a child that argument from authority is a valid answer to something. Um, this is the same as saying might makes right, right? Um, you know, my, my authority as a parent is not an argument. Yes, I'm in charge of this person. Yes, I want them to listen to me, but, uh, I don't want to, to, to teach them that, um, the reason they have to listen to me is simply because I happen to be an authority, because someday I won't be an authority over them, and there'll be other authorities, and maybe they shouldn't listen to those authorities. Um, they they should be able to have their own guiding moral compass. And so um, if I don't have a good reason for telling them something, and, and you know this is work that I decided to take on when I made this promise, I realized, well, if I don't have a good reason then I shouldn't be making the demand or request. Um, I should be making demands and requests that are that have good, solid, solid foundations to them. And it turns out, actually, uh, it maybe seems a little bit intimidating if you're super intellectually lazy, but it's actually not that hard. Most things that you want children to do, most things that you ask children to do, most things that you, quote, demand that they do, usually you have a good reason. I mean, there, there's a reason that, uh, you know, you don't, hit other people or steal their things or lie. Like, those aren't... It shouldn't be hard to figure out why you're telling them to do something. There's a reason that they take a bath, right? So, um, it's, it's you know, it's just a commitment to have actual reasons. Um, and now, some of these things that... Some of the requests that we make or demands that we make as parents um, are safety-related reasons, like don't rush into the street um, or, you know, don't go near the street when they're small, right? But there's a reason for that. Um, and that reason can be explained, um, even to a small child. Uh, and obviously, explanations need to be developmentally appropriate. Often, you can just start with something very simple and wait for the child to ask more questions before you, you know, go. You don't have to launch into a, you know, treatise on natural rights every time your five-year-old 
said, you know, you ask your five-year-old to do something, you can just give a very simple answer. And often the simple answer is enough. Sometimes they'll ask one more why. That's fine. You can answer that. Um, brushing your teeth is another example of a quote, I'll call it safety or health and safety related, right? There's, there's a reason. Why don't you, why don't you, uh, why do you want to have your kid brush your teeth? Well, because they'll get cavities and, and their teeth will be in pain and fall out. And like, oh, this is all very important. I remember when, I think I've told this story before, but I remember at one point when my, uh, my daughter didn't want to brush her teeth and I was having trouble, she was young and I was having trouble communicating to her what a cavity is and why and why it really matters. Um, and I realized, uh, hey, we live, in the, we live in the age of Google. I just Googled images of really bad teeth. And, you know, maybe that was too much at the time in retrospect because she still remembers it. But she remembers to brush her teeth, right? And she's like, don't show me those pictures of cavities anymore. It, they're, they're horrible. No one wants to have cavities. You just, so I, I remember Googling, picking out a few that were, you know, less horrible than all, some of the stuff you can get if you Google cavities. is pretty disgusting looking. But, you know, picking some that looked what I thought was bad and just saying, like, look, well, this is these are the consequences. If you don't brush your teeth, you know, you get these there's these little germs and they attack your teeth and this is what happens to your teeth here's a picture of what happens to your teeth um and that's powerful for a kid it's like oh i understand why i'm brushing my teeth now um it's not because i said so uh because i said so is a crappy reason um you know some of the rules are moral rules like keep your promises and don't lie uh those are things that there's reasons for that right it's not it's not just because i said so um i found for things uh, that were moral principles, and actually um, just for social rules, like uh, help set the table or don't interrupt and that kind of stuff, I found that uh, universalizing things was very helpful, right? So uh, I know I've told this story before, but the, um, again, I don't know why I had so many toothbrushing stories. I guess that must have been an issue in our house, but um, I know I've told this story before, but where my daughter didn't want to didn't wanna brush her teeth, she had promised to brush her teeth after something uh maybe i read her a book i think and uh but then when it came time to do it she didn't she didn't want to brush her teeth and of course because kids are going to test boundaries and so she was pushing back and instead of getting angry and yelling at her i just accepted it and i said okay well what you're saying is um you know you made a promise to me that i would read this book uh, and then you would brush your teeth uh, if you would like to have a world in which now she was old enough that i could do this but not not too old she was pretty young so if you would like to have a world in which we uh, break promises to each other, that's fine. I can I can do that. If you want to break your promise now and not brush your teeth, that's fine. Um, however, let me show you the consequences are. I will be free now to break my promises to you. If you can break promises to me, I can break promises to you because that's how we universalize moral behavior. And that means, you know, next time I promise you to go to the park or I promise that you can have ice cream. Um, I can just renege whenever I want. I can just, I don't think I use the word renege, but I said, you know, I can just go back on my word. I can, I can, after promising it and getting you to do what I want, I can just say, no, I changed my mind. Um, and, and you could see in her face, you could see the, you could see the wheels turning in her, her brain going. And when she came to the realization that like, oh, that's, that's not the environment I want to live in. I, I don't want to live in that environment. I want to be able to trust my dad when he makes promises to me. And, uh, that was all I had to say. She thought about it for a minute. Her eyes got wide, and she stuck the toothbrush in her mouth and started brushing her teeth. Um, so I, I find universalization to be um, a good rule. And again, kids may ask why. Uh, you know, give them an answer. Um, but you know, you can start at a very high high level, age appropriate answer, and and work your way down. 
Um, the other the other guiding principle, the next guiding principle I had was um, other than uh, never saying because I said so as an answer. Um, I always I decided to always answer the question why uh, truthfully, and this kind of is related to because I said so. A lot of parents will you know kid will say why they'll say just because I said so. Um, but I said, no, I'm always going to answer why I'm going to let there be wise. And, um, that led to some beautiful consequences, uh, really simple questions. I remember, um, coming home from like school one day, it was probably kindergarten. It was young. Uh, I remember my daughter asking why school buses were yellow and within like two or three whys, we got down to stuff that I was just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why that is. Uh, I think we ended up getting into, like, questions about wavelengths of light. And, like, it was way beyond her. But she was asking, like, well, why is this and why is that? And, like, I got to, I got quickly to a point where I was like, I don't I don't actually know. We have to go look this up. Um, and we did. We looked it up later. I don't even remember what the answer or question was. But, uh, you know, eventually she it got, she was like, oh, okay. And, you know, there's reasons for why school buses are yellow. Uh, some of those reasons may be arbitrary in retrospect. But, you know, we we answered to the best of our ability as we could. We continued to ask why. And that that was kind of fun. Uh, you know, some people I think might see those as laborious conversations, but it's kind of cool to have your kid um, really have all that curiosity and, and let them explore it. And, you know, I learn stuff because I don't know why all the time. Um, but it lets them see that reasons are, you know, when you, when you let them ask why, encourage them to ask why, um, especially for things that you're asking them to do, it... Um, it shows them that reasons are necessary, that you're not falling back on argument from authority. Um, and that teaches them to trust you and believe you even when you're when they're not asking why. Like, once they learn that you actually have good reasons for things, um, when you ask them to do something, there's less pushback often because they kind of assume, well, every time I ask, there's a good reason. So they start assuming that there's probably a good reason that you're asking them to do that. Um, so actually, I found uh, there to be, you know, some initial uh, work that needed to be done, but then things got actually kind of easy. Uh, still, my daughter still sometimes asks why about stuff, but in general, she knows that I'm not making crap up. I'm not just saying it because I want to. Um, the other thing that I think is important when you um, are answering why, because sometimes you need to answer, I don't know, right? And I think that that teaches your kids that you're not omniscient either, right? You're, which is kind of empowering because it's a little bit intimidating to be around someone who always has all the answers all the time and there's omniscience. It means that you'll never really have a, uh, you can never really achieve a relationship of uh, equality, which obviously as a child, they're never going to. But as an adult, they, they should be able to, they should strive to be, uh, you know, equal to you in, in, agency as an adult and it's kind of disheartening if it's like no I always have all of the right answers and I'm you know I am unquestionable so um so be able to say I don't know uh the next is kind of the next principle is is one that I use that's directly related to the initial question which is you know I decided to never use the threat of violence or physical intimidation to to accomplish anything ever um and I know a lot of people are like, well, I was spanked and kids need to be spanked. Otherwise, they don't learn discipline. Uh, I don't think that's correct. In fact, science is against you on this. Um, if that's your attitude, you're, you're just, it's not what studies say. 
Um, so um, studies have shown that corporal punishment, this is spanking, this isn't a child abuse, it's just, I mean, some people may, and I may actually categorize it as a mild form of child abuse, but I'm not talking about child abuse, I'm talking about measured, like, intentional discipline, corporal punishment. Um, first of all, uh, we know that this uh, produces only short-term compliance, like immediate compliance. Kids will comply because they're, they're getting hit, but um, long-term, it's actually ineffective, and in some cases, it actually seems to be, uh, seems to actually make problems even worse. So it doesn't actually work. You think it does because uh, it works in the moment, but it doesn't actually work uh, in the long term. Um, studies have also shown that kids who get spanked are more likely to hit other children because you're modeling aggressive behavior. This makes sense. You're teaching them might makes right. Uh, you know, the bigger person can hit the smaller person and that, that shuts them up. Um, you know, it, it also loses the effectiveness over time. It seems like uh, it, it, it looks like when the more you spank your child, uh, the less valuable, the less um, impactful it is, even in the short term. Eventually, they just stop caring. Um, it damages your, obviously, it damages the relationship of safety and trust. The parent's supposed to be um, a, a home base of safety and trust for children. And uh, if you randomly are going to, again, you may not think it's random, but if you're not providing uh, reasons and you're using violence, it certainly will seem random to children. You know, you're going to hit them uh, because you don't like what they're doing. Even if you say, this is why I'm doing it, because you're, you did X, Y, and Z, um, it certainly damages their ability to trust that you're a safe place for them to be. Um, it's also, there are studies that have also linked corporal punishment to lower IQ. Um, there's, I'll, I'll, I'll put the link to this study uh, in the show notes. Uh, Murray Strauss from the University of New Hampshire and uh, Melly Pashal from the Pacific Institute for Research and Evaluation in Maryland uh, studied uh, nationally representative groups, uh, samples of two age groups, uh, 806 children, and they found that uh, the IQ was reduced by roughly uh, five points. And this is, uh, you know, after they, they measured a bunch of groups and then half of them were spanked and half of them weren't, and they, they went back and, and measured again later. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, um, this is a real, IQ is important. Uh, so, and, but it's not the only study either that has shown this. It's just the one that I'm looking at now. So, uh, it's not good for their IQ, spanking kids. Um, they're also more likely to develop mental disorders. I'll put a link to this study also, but, um, there's a, there's a study called physical punishment and mental disorders results from a nationally representative U S sample. Um, this study, uh, also concluded that, uh, what they described as harsh physical punishment, so hitting, um, this is in the absence of more severe mistreatment. So they, you know, they doesn't, they, they carved out the, you know, what, what most people will call child abuse stuff, just the, just the severe corporal punishment. Um, it's associated with increased odds of mood disorders, anxiety disorders, substance abuse, and personality disorders. Okay. So, um, so spanking actually isn't, using force actually isn't doing what you think it's doing, even if in the short term it seems like there's results because the kid doesn't want to get hit, so they, they have short-term compliance. Um, I view using force as also um, yelling because yelling is intimidating, and you know that might sound like a snowflakey thing, like, oh, it's intimidating to yell, but uh, you know, put yourself in a child's shoes. Um, you're three to four times, sometimes more, depending on the age, larger 
than that child is. Um, imagine someone, you know, 20, 30 feet tall uh, and three to four times as heavy as you screaming at you. That's physically intimidating. That's, that's a threat. That's a physically intimidating threat. You are much bigger. And so yelling and screaming at children is a form of the initiation of the use of force. You're threatening them. You have the ability, you have the means, and you're showing that you're kind of unhinged when you're yelling. So, um, of course, children are frightened by that. They feel threatened by violence by that, and as they should, uh, because a lot of times yelling precedes actual violence. So, again, the, your modeling behavior that teaches them might makes right. I'm bigger than you. That's why you have to listen. I can hit you. I can throw you over my knee and spank you. That's why. That's not a reason. Uh, so I think often parents say uh, that they like to they do this when, you know, they say spanking is important or um, we have to yell at the kids. Uh, honestly, I think often it's, from what I've seen, uh, people tend to see that say that when they're being just lazy because it's easy right? It's easy to, you know, the kid's small, it's, you're tired, it's like, just just because I said so, just, you know, I'll spank you if you don't. Like, that's, it's easy, it's lazy. Um, and, but also, I see a lot of parents who are emotionally triggered if they don't know the answer. So, if they don't come up with an answer about why am I asking you to do this, and, you know, I think if you're going to be a parent, you should have good whys for the morals that you're instilling in their kid, your kids. And if you don't have good whys, uh, don't blame the kid. Go find good whys. Because there are good whys. Uh, think about it. But don't blame the kid for asking stuff. Uh, you know, you wouldn't hit an adult who, who challenged you. I mean, this is one of these things where uh, we just really, you don't treat adults this way. right? You, can you imagine if a guy was like, well, I told my wife to do X, Y, Z, but she didn't listen. So I spanked her because she was just not minding. I'm like, what? Well, she doesn't have, like. What the hell is that? Now I get she's an adult and she has agency and and um, and uh, and has recognized legal rights that children don't have, but it's the same kind of principle. Like, well, she wouldn't listen to me, so I hit her. Like, what what is that? That's not an argument. That's just abuse. Um, I do want to make a clarification here. I'm not saying that there doesn't need to be consequences to behavior. Um, you know, the classic example is like you can eat your dessert, but only after you've eaten your broccoli. Right, like yes, you can have consequences. You can withhold things from them. You can, um, uh, you know, you control their environment and their world. So you can certainly link behavior to consequences, and and I think you should. I prefer to link consequences to, you know, the consequences I'm dishing out to the actual consequences in real life. So, um, for example, like instead of, um, you know. Instead of saying something like, get ready, you know, you have 15 minutes to get ready because we have errands to run, and, uh, you know, if you don't, if you if you do it, I'll give you ice cream, and if you don't, I won't, or whatever. I don't, I don't like that. They're kind of disconnected. Ice cream doesn't make sense in that scenario. But, you know, you can link it to, like, well, look, the faster you get ready, the more time we'll have to play at the park. If you waste all your time getting ready, we're not going to have any time to play in the park, and, that, you know, that's, that's up to you, right? We're going to, you know you're going to suffer the consequences of this. There's there's reasons why we need to get ready. Now, some in some cases, you need them to get ready and go out the door. Um, but, you know, I have I do remember some times when uh, my daughter wasn't ready, and I was like, all right, well, like, you're coming in the car anyway. I, I don't care if you're in your pajamas. Like, the, you know, you can feel embarrassed about it, but I, I gave you warning, and I've got to go to the doctor or wherever it is. And so, tough, right? That's the consequence. 
Um, so I like that. I like consequences linked more directly. Um, but the other caveat about the violence thing, and I can't believe I need to say this, but I know I'm going to have to need to say this because someone's going to bring this up. This doesn't mean you don't yank them away from the street if a car is coming, if they're wandering into the street. It doesn't mean you don't use force to protect them. If they're about to walk off the edge of a ledge, you don't try and have a conversation with them. You grab them and save their life. You don't, you know, it, it doesn't mean you can never use physicality at all with your child. You're bigger, you're responsible for their safety. If there's an emergency situation in which your physicality is necessary, your, your physical interaction is necessary to save them, obviously you do that. Um, so, but I know if I don't say that, someone will be like, you know, what actually, what about if they're offering, they're walking off a cliff? Mm. Like, yes, obviously. Uh, yes, you don't let cars hit them. You don't argue with your three-year-old as they're wandering into the street. You pull them back. Um, uh, anyway, the other rule, uh, next rule that I had for myself, or next guiding principle really was, um, to accept when things were my fault. So, um, if I lose an argument about one of these things, um, I want my daughter to do something and I lose an argument. Uh, well, I need to suffer the consequences and then lose the argument and go regroup and figure out how the heck I lost to a child. It shouldn't be, it should be hard to lose your arguments to a child unless you don't know why you're asking them to do things. So um, there have been times though, it happens to all of us, like I've lost before and I've, I'm like, you know what? You just made a good argument. I don't have a good counter argument. Uh, okay. And then I got to go off and be like, oh, I have to think of a good argument. Like, why am I asking her to do that thing? I, next time it matters. And this is kind of like, this is really fighting the war, not the battle, which I guess is a bad metaphor. I don't, I don't want to view your relationship with your child as, as a battle or, or war. But, um, you know, you don't have to win the moment. You don't have to win the argument in the moment. You have to, your goal is to, um, your goal is to long-term create someone, uh, help to create someone with a, a good moral compass and, and um, admirable values, not to not to win in the moment. Um, you know, recently I we've been I've been on a healthy eating kick. We've been we've been eating better, and um, one of the things that a lot of people do when they're they're eating, we'll call it eating clean during the week, is sometimes they'll have like a cheat day on on the weekend. And so I set that up, and but this was a mistake uh, because. Um, my daughter, I didn't provide proper context for why the cheat day was needed and what the overall goal was. And so when cheat day came around, she was just like, I will eat every, for, tw- for 24 hours, I'm going to eat everything I can possibly eat that's filled with sugar and chocolate and whatever. Um, and it was like, whoa, this is like, she's eating now more sweets than she was before we did this, even though she's eating better during the week. Um, and I noticed this, um, in, in the beginning of one of the cheat days, and I had a choice to make, right? I, I could have stopped her right then, but I had made a promise about cheat day. And so I kept my promise about cheat day. And I realized in the short term, it wasn't good for her to be eating all that stuff. But in the long term, it was important that I kept my promise. So I kept my promise. And then after cheat day, I said, okay, now that you've had your cheat day, kept my promise. Now we need to rethink this approach. And I, and I, and I, changed how we're doing things to more link this to the overall goal of eating healthy and having a little bit of like a psychological release valve that wouldn't make sweets an obsession, but would allow you to have, you know, a little bit of uh, relief once in a while from, you know, because otherwise you can get obsessed about something. If it's like you can never have this thing, suddenly that thing becomes uh, super attractive, especially to kids. So 
you know, I rethought it and I don't know how that's going to go. We're in that, we're in that stage right now. Uh, but I'll, I'll abide by the new set of rules. And if it turns out those are wrong, I'll still keep my promise, but we'll reevaluate afterwards. So it's important to just recognize, yeah, okay, I screwed up. That was a bad idea, but I'm going to keep my promise. Um, also, uh, another guiding principle, I think I only have one more after this. Another guiding principle was, um, or is, to show respect for children. And the reason I think this is very important is if you don't show respect for children, it's going to be difficult them, for them to grow up respecting you or anyone else. Um, it's unfair and it's, it's, um, it's irrational to be like, I don't respect you at all, but you need to respect me. Um, respect doesn't mean listen to whatever they say. They're ignorant. They're children. They don't, they don't know right? You're, you're supposed to be their mentor and their parent, and you're supposed to be guiding them morally and in other ways. But um, but you can respect them, and there's a couple ways you can do that. One is to pay attention to what's important to them and give it respect. So a, uh, a little rule that I had for a while, at this point, my daughter's old enough that she, um, you know, kind of pays attention to the time herself, and, you know, I don't have to do this as much. But um, you know, I had a rule uh, early on that for every year uh, old that she was, I would give one minute of warning before we changed activities. So if she was playing with something on the floor and she was two years old, I would say in two minutes, we're going to go, you know, whatever it is, we're going to go get dressed and go to the store. We're going to go do whatever it is. And obviously when she's really young, she doesn't even really understand what we're doing, but, um, but you know, she, she'll get it eventually. And but it because you know to to you and to me playing with toys on the floor doesn't look like a very important task it's just stupid and like we've got something important to do so come on kid let's go do this important thing but if you respect them and you realize look they're you know they're they're that thing that they're doing is very very important to them and frankly it's probably important for psychological development um, if it's play of any kind so um, it's just respecting like that thing's really important it doesn't mean I'm gonna not to do the thing I need to do. It just means I'm going to give show you the respect of giving you a little bit of warning. Like, this thing's going to end, right? This thing's going to end at this time so you can plan for it. Now, the reason I had the one minute per year rule was, uh, you know, a, a three-year-old, more than three minutes warning is almost useless to a three-year-old. Like, they barely can keep three minutes as a concept, right? So, um, you know, and just kind of extended as I get old. That was just a rule of thumb, but um, and also when, when my daughter was really young, I, we would say like, okay, we're going to do this thing now and it's going to take this long, right? We're going to like, okay, we're going to, um, we're going to go to the store. It's going to take about an hour and we'll be home, you know, in about an hour, whatever it is. Um, just to show them that like, look, you're involved. I I'm in charge of what we're doing. You're coming with me. You're, you're in my charge, but I'm communicating to you. I'm not just dragging you around like a sack of potatoes. Uh, you're, you're a human being. In development, whom I respect, and uh, I'm going to, I'm going to one of those one of the ways in which I respect you is by letting you know what I'm going to be doing, what you're going to be doing, how it affects you, because it affects you. Uh, you're busy playing with Legos, and that's going to have to end, and we're going to have to go do this other thing, and that affects you. So I'm going to tell you. Um, the other thing that you can do is, uh, and you, I we did this from super early on. Like, um, actually, we did this immediately. Uh, this is respecting their physical person um, and teaching them that their body is theirs um, and they're in charge of their body. And obviously when they're infants, uh, they actually don't have the ability to really be in charge of their body in many ways. So, 
But at least, again, just warning them, I'm going to pick you up now. I'm going to put you down now. I'm going to give you to mom now. I'm going to give you to grandma now. Um, just to give them a verbal warning. This is I'm going to change your diaper. Uh, just to tell them, this is what's happening. And again, they may not understand all the words, but they there's a there's an intentionality that you're communicating to them. I'm doing this thing. I respect your person. I'm going to disturb your body right now. You might be practicing grasping. You're going to have to stop that for a minute because I'm going to pick you up, right? So um, the other thing, and I know this will trigger a lot of people, but uh, no, grandma cannot assault kiss. Um, relatives don't get to pick you up against your will and and kiss you. Um, that's not a thing that happens. You're your own person. You your you know your body is yours. Kisses and hugs happen voluntarily. Grandma can offer a kiss and hug, but if you don't want it, well, that's okay. And that might hurt grandma's feelings, but that's a conversation mom and dad need to have with grandma. Uh, the child doesn't need to learn that his or her body is at the disposal of adults who would like to feel what it like, you know, they would like to hug it or kiss it. That's not, uh, you know, that's not appropriate. Um, that's not teaching them that they're in control of the boundaries of their own body. Now, it is appropriate to um, have a conversation, which I have, which is like, well, you know, we're a, we're a family that when someone is needing support, you know, do you like to get hugs when 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 you uh, are feeling bad? Do you like when someone gives you hugs when you're feeling bad? Yes, I do. Okay, well, do you want to be in an environment where, uh, you know, when the family is supporting each other and if someone's sad, they get a hug? And so that kind of helps them see that there's some uh, reciprocal things going on here. So, so they, you know, if the child sees that grandma really wants a hug, they're more likely to be like, okay, grandma, I'll give you a hug. And if they choose to give the hug, it means so much more anyway. Um, grandma doesn't get much out of a hug if they, you know, the kid's like all tensed up and moving their cheek away because they don't want to get kissed on the cheek by grandma or Aunt Sue or whatever it is. Um, but if, you know, if, they, if you respect that child's boundaries, they're much more likely to, even if at first they're cold, come around to the idea of appreciating affection um, from people who respect them, not from people who just pick them up against their will and, and start kissing their face. Um, so I know that'll trigger some people, but uh, that's an important area of, I think, showing respect for a child that, um, that I follow, or an important rule that I follow. Um, and kind of the last thing on my list here is, uh, you know, this is an obvious one, but um, don't respond to irrational or undesirable behavior. Don't reward uh, irrational or undesirable behavior. And, the, you know, the classic example here, which you see all the, t- all the time, right? Uh, it's like, how do I, you know, I'm at the checkout in the supermarket. My kid is having a temper tantrum because I won't get them this candy bar or whatever it is. How do I stop that? How do I stop them from behaving this way? And my, you know, my answer to that is always uh, get in a time machine, go back five years, and stop giving in back when it was not such a full-blown temper tantrum. You likely built that behavior. Take some responsibility for that, right? They whined a little bit, you gave in. The next time they whined a little bit, you didn't want to give in, so they whined a little more, you gave in. The next time they whined that little more, you still didn't want to because this is getting annoying, but then they really escalated and you're like, okay, 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 and you gave in. You're just training them to be louder and more obnoxious. So uh, sometimes their behavior is, you know, and this is a tough answer to swallow, sometimes the behavior is not something that's immediately correctable. It's something that you helped train them to do. It doesn't mean it's uncorrectable. It just means correcting it now is going to be harder. Now, when they're older, it's going to be a lot harder to correct. That's okay. We all make mistakes. Um, so recognize that 
the correction's probably going to be a lot more painful than if you didn't train them to do it in the first place. It's a lot easier to have slight discomfort with a whiny two-year-old in the store who you do not give into than it is to have major discomfort with an eight-year-old who's going, you know, crazy in the store uh, because you trained that behavior. So that's really all. Um, you know, to summarize uh, this, you know, my goal here is to is to really raise uh, an adult who wants to be moral, um, who recognizes the value. They see reasons for being moral. They want to be moral. It's their own choice to be moral. Um, they're not doing it because they're afraid of authority. Um, they're not uh, they're not looking to argument from authority or intimidation either to get their way or to give in. Um, that's that's really my goal here. And you know, my experience has been again only one child, so. Uh, I guess the Von Trapps can argue or someone with lots of, you know, the dirty dozen uh, people can, or cheaper by the dozen, not dirty dozen. I think dirty dozen is a Western. Cheaper by the dozen uh, people can can argue with me. I guess they've you know, had a lot more kids. But, um, you know, it does take conscious effort to do this. It is a little bit more work at the beginning, but I've found it to be much more pleasurable um, and lead to a great relationship where uh, it's not fear-based at all. And um, what I've seen in my daughter is that she seems to respect and listen to us much more than kids who are raised through corporal punishment. Um, she has her own moral compass. She kind of knows what's right and wrong. Um, she has her own desire to, be, to do the right thing, the wrong thing. She sees when the wrong thing is being done. She kind of knows why it's wrong at this point. And, um, and if we tell her not to do something, her immediate reaction isn't to push back. Sometimes she'll ask why, but um, she's very willing to accept that there's probably very good reasons for it, because there have always been good reasons for why we've we've asked her to do something. So I hope you guys found this helpful. Uh, I don't know. Uh, give me your thoughts and comments uh, below. Try not to get too angry at me if you disagree. Um, I really think that the best way to build the more peaceful, voluntary, sane, rational, Western culture uh, society that we want in the future is through our children. Um, you know, we're not going to, it's unlikely that we're going to use reason to convince a lot of, you know, crazy college students, but it's very likely that if you raise your children in a conscious way to really have solid, uh, solid moral foundation, that they'll be immune to this stuff anyway. And, uh, and, and they'll be a much more uh, productive and moral generation. So that's the goal. Thanks everyone for watching. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Carrie will be back tomorrow. We'll do our live Kofefi uh, that we do every Friday. We'll do it tomorrow with Carrie. So we'll see you all then. Thanks.